It's time for the Noble Capital Radio Hour with the team at Noble Capital Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Austin area and beyond. Featuring the Vice President of Noble Capital Wealth Management, Jess Hamill, and Financial Advisor, Jonathan Berkland. Here's your host, Walter Storholt. It's the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Walter Storholt with you alongside Jess Hamill and Jonathan Berkland, the great team at Noble Capital Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Austin area. Find us online at ncwealth.com. Guys, almost everybody likes the idea of a healthy bank account. Who wouldn't? Uh, But I'm curious, what are some of the possible uses of cash that make it a good idea to have a sufficient amount on hand? Today, I want to talk a little bit more about the Benjamins and how cash plays a role not only in our daily lives but also financial and retirement as well. Why would somebody keep a really good amount of cash on hand, especially as they enter into retirement? Now, when you say cash, and I'm not being silly, you mean cash like money in savings account? Can cash? Are you talking about like you know hundred thousand dollars in hundred dollar bills stuck in your closet? Somewhere? Easily accessible funds. Easily. Either either way, I guess. I guess either way, okay. either one. Yes. As far as being in the real world. Um, we've talked about it before on other um, episodes. If you're nearing that retirement year, that might be something good to spend down the first year or two uh, to keep you in the lower tax bracket so you're not generating income so you can do Roth conversions. Yeah, yeah. And I still think, you know, I mean, I think if you don't have, if you are in the six-figure and above income bracket and have been for quite some time, if you don't have a hundred grand, a nine-millimeter, and a passport in a, in a briefcase somewhere in your house, then something's wrong. You're not ready. You're not ready. Well, yeah, I think the, the, the benchmark is, is kind of six to 12 months of, of expenses in cash on hand. Most people choose to keep that in the bank. But if you're like Jess, I guess you could have it literally cash on hand. But that's, that's kind I, of our general... I've got $100,000 in seeds. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> So that, that's the general that's the general guideline to, to kind of have on hand, just as kind of your your emergency liquidity bucket. You know, lots of income streams in retirement aren't necessarily liquid, right? Social Security, you get a certain amount each month, but you can't go ask them for an advance, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, same thing. Years worth now. Same thing with your pension and in other places too, and 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 sometimes you have longer term investments, whether it's in the market or elsewhere, that maybe you don't want to touch when you get that repair bill or. You want to take that vacation or whatever. So it's nice to just have some cash on hand, one, for a basic emergency fund, but two, just to, as a source of liquidity in your life, you know, and then you can replenish that bucket um, in a method and time span that, that you choose that, that makes the most sense. So it's just a nice liquidity buffer. And, the, and times have changed, too. I mean, there's always I've had a lot of people come in with quite a bit of cash in the bank, you know, yeah. sitting on eight or $900,000 cash just sitting in a savings account. And I'm like, Whoa. I'm like, you know, there's probably something we could do a little better with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can, um, can you have too much cash on hand? Is that an example of, well, that? It, it, it depends on the rest of your portfolio. So yes and no, but at, these days with what you're getting in the bank, you know, we call it point nothing, the interest rate that you're getting in the bank versus what we can get with an equal level of safety somewhere else isn't that far off if you want to stay liquid. So, I mean, there's going to be a give and take for everything. So I think having a million dollars cash sitting in the bank, is that excessive? Well, not if I've got $20 million sitting in a retirement account and investments <laughs> elsewhere, right? Um, but if I got a million dollars in the bank and $300,000 in a traditional IRA, then yeah, you're probably a little heavy on cash. A little heavy, yeah, yeah. And everybody has their own risk tolerance, but you know, we, we like to generally see your money working for you the best that it can. So I would I would say that you know more than six to twelve months is worth a conversation. Not saying it's wrong, but let's talk about it. Talk about the reasons why you want to have that much cash on hand, and make sure that that's what's suitable for you and your situation, and you're not doing yourself a disservice. Exactly, and that's the better answer. Jonathan's answer is, is way more uh, accurate. 
don't base it on a number, base it on a, a length of, of time of expenses. Yeah, yeah. So whatever whatever it costs you to be for a year. For me, I like a year. Six months is a little bit short. But sure, sure. Whatever it costs you to, to do your thing for a year, set that back. So if something goes terribly wrong, you got a year to figure it out. Yeah, that's a good idea. And I guess, guys, another question along these lines would be going back to the beginning. How do we get there in the first place? where somebody's got more cash sitting uh, around than they should? Is it just fear of the market that typically leads people to, to being overvalued there? Some of that, but, but I, when we see that, what we typically see is somebody that's making a really good income. All they do is work. They live a very conservative life, and their paychecks just have been adding up and adding up and adding up, and all of a sudden they look up one day and like, man, that's a lot of cash. I wonder what I should do with it. Yep, yep. That or, or inheritance, right? Somebody yeah, passes away and... You know, in the moment, you're not worried about what you're inheriting. You're worried about taking care of you know, emotionally, taking care of yourself, the rest of your family, that sort of thing. And, uh, and over time, you can just find yourself sitting on, on a pile that you inherited and, and you haven't done anything with it. So um, at some point in time, in either of those scenarios, you kind of want to hit reset and, and take stock of the situation. But it can happen. Um, it's a nice problem to have in many ways, right? Uh, but it does need to be addressed um, just to determine if, if that really is the best place for it all to sit or if we can get it working in, in a better way. So another another downfall of that, which really kind of flies on the face of the main reason that we said it was accumulating in the first place, but people get a comfort level. You know, you got 500 grand sitting in your savings account and you see something you want for a couple grand. Sure, why not? I mean, I got half a million dollars sitting here. It doesn't seem like right, a big right. of a deal. So if you would have let down to 50 grand in the bank and put the other 450 somewhere else, you're probably less you know inclined to go buy a, a three thousand dollar MacBook just because you happen to walk by the go. Apple Store, you know, or, or a, a used motorcycle that seems like a really good deal, you know, why not? The less access you have to immediately liquid cash, the better you are if you're not a, a disciplined, controllable person. That's a really good point. Um, I'll go back to you know six to twelve months on hand. How, how do you get there? Um, and is it is it truly important to get there? We have a lot of clients that come in and they don't have that much on hand, right? We can come in and I've got half a million, a million dollars sitting in my IRA. How much do you have in cash? Nothing. Yeah, five grand. Yeah, hundred bucks. You know, it's like, whoa, what, what happened here? How do we not have any cash on hand? So if you're out there in retirement or prior to retirement, you're still working and contributing to your 401ks and IRAs, take stock of your cash situation and do yourself a service. Make sure you have that six to 12 months on hand. It serves you well at any point in life, certainly in retirement, but Leading up to it, that's your best opportunity to get that cash on hand. So if you don't have that built up by retirement, now we have to figure out how to make that happen, right? Um, and that can be more difficult than simply saving uh, out of earnings, right? Because retirement is, is permanent unemployment, so earnings sort of disappear. Yeah, right. <laughs> it gets a little bit more difficult. And what we've also seen in some of those scenarios, and we're going the opposite of too much cash on hand, is right. when somebody comes in with a million dollars in their IRA and, and literally, you know, two or three thousand dollars in the bank. Yeah. Everyone, how did you? There's limits on how much you can contribute to your IRA. How did you even get to this point? Yeah. And what they're doing, it's, it's people that are living fairly conservatively, and they're not making a ton of money, and they literally put every penny that they can into their 401k. So they take whatever their paycheck is, they back out what it costs them on a monthly budget to live, and everything else goes into the 401k. 401k, IRA, yeah. yeah much they can. So they're, they're not trying to save up anything in savings because they're feeling good because they've got it for down the road. Then they retire at 55. And they can't they can't access it for four or five more years without paying a penalty on top of it. They got right. no money to fall back on. They're my office going. I don't understand. I'm a millionaire. What happened? I'm going. Uh, we got a problem there. It's a rude awakening. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So definitely, cash on hand is key. You can you can definitely have too much. You can definitely have too little. But it comes back to your specific situation, what you're trying to accomplish from a, a risk and investment standpoint. But it's certainly worth taking a look at one way or the other, making sure you have uh, the right amount for your particular situation. That's what we try to do here. 
at Noble Capital on a regular basis, along with a variety of other uh, investment planning. Jonathan, I know that you and Jess talk about things like this at your dinner and discussion seminars, talking about cash, emergency funds, those sort of things. What are the things do you discuss at the seminars? What will people learn? And uh, I'll tell people how they can come if they're interested. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Walter. So, you know, we, we talk about a variety of things. We talk about the, the common retirement mistakes that we see people making coming through our office and, and just try to share those with the general public to, to educate. One, we like to talk about the way that we do our retirement planning. It might be a little bit different than you're accustomed to. If you listen to us on the radio, you kind of get a taste for it. But uh, you also get to meet uh, myself, Jess, and the rest of the team and, and get to meet us in person, shake our hand, that sort of thing. It's always great to meet all the folks uh, who come through. So it's really just a great opportunity to get to know us a little bit better, learn how we operate, how we do our retirement planning, and, and check us out. See if you want to take uh, us up on coming to meet us in person for a one-on-one discussion to really talk about your retirement in more details and see if we can't help you as well. If you want to find out about the upcoming dinner and discussion seminars at a location near you, go to ncwealth.com. That's ncwealth.com. You'll see a list of upcoming events, and you can RSVP and sign up right there on the website from your smartphone or computer ncwealth.com. Or if you want to learn about common retirement mistakes at one of those seminars, uh, you can also call or text your interest at 512-492-3800. Send us a quick text or give a call. Let us know you'd like to attend an upcoming event and we'll get you the details you need. 512-492-3800. That's 512-492-3800. This is the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Stay tuned. If you ever miss a show, don't worry. You can always catch up later with the Noble Capital Radio Hour podcast. Find it on your favorite podcasting apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Just look for the Noble Capital Radio Hour podcast or go online to ncwealth.com. Talk 1370. It's getting to know you time. Time to get to know Jonathan and Jess a little bit better on today's show. Your advisors here on Noble Capital Radio Hour. And fun, easy question for you this week, guys. Uh, keeping it simple. What's your favorite sport? Oh, Go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, soccer or football, as it's known uh, worldwide. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can get into all, all sports generally in some form or fashion, but um, soccer's kind of been a, a passion since I was a little kid and uh, probably even more so growing up and, and watching it. So I, I can't I can say that uh, U.S. soccer is not very interesting. Sorry, MLS, but uh, European soccer is where it's at. Do you have a team, a favorite European team? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I watch the Premier League and, you know, the, the there in, in England, um, I'm gonna not get, necessarily I'm gonna a specific Arsenal. team, but Arsenal's a good one. Arsenal's a good one. You know, you know Liverpool, uh, Man U, of course. You know all those. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but uh, it, it's fun for me, anyways. I well, imagine there's some soccer fans listening out sure, there. Sure, I yeah. hope so. We're in Austin. Seems know. like everybody is a soccer yeah. fan these days. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about you, Jess? You asked the wrong person on that. One. I, just, I think I, so. I, I, I've never known I, him to. I don't, I don't. I'm not into professional sports at all. So I'd have to say, you know, mo- motorcycle racing would be about it. Oh, me. there you go. No, oh, I, I would have definitely guessed you would have had. You know, I would have just said football or something like that. But no, no sports not. at all, really. Huh? I, I, I don't really even think not. I've seen the last ten Super Bowls, honestly. 
Yeah. Motorcycle even, racing? How about that? Yeah, Can we go exactly. right there? Yeah, that's yeah. Like, like on what Speed or ESPN Seven or something like that. You don't see that very often. Well, I mean, I like to go to the Harley. Oh, drive. okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. I, I, th- I think racing is a sport, so we could count that. Right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. of course yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, it's a real man sport. They may not be athletes, but it's a sport, right? <laughs> Isn't that the old debate? Like, are race car drivers athletes? Yeah, I, is it a sport? I, you know, like exactly, that. exactly. Well, you know, if you get paid a million dollars a minute to run around in, in tight pants and chase a little ball, then yeah, like I said, yeah, strap yourself to the back of a you know. Eight hundred horsepower motorcycle and go screaming down the quarter mile, and uh, I think that's a little bit more daring. It all, it all, it all takes some uh, some daring and, and uh, cunning nature, that's for sure. I would say hockey. Hockey's my favorite sport, so oh, okay. I'm, I'm usually okay. in the minority on that. So yeah, yeah. But, uh, I think here in Texas, not not too big of a deal. Not as not as big a deal. Well, you got the, the yeah. Dallas Stars. I mean, you know. Okay, all right. I'm, they, I'm not as familiar as you can tell. Didn't they try a hockey team here? Yeah, the Ice Bats. We used to have the, the Austin. Ice, yeah. It wasn't like an NHL team, right? But it was. Uh, I remember going as a kid. Like, my the uncle ice bats the that, austin ice yeah. bat well because we have a you know the bats on the bridge you know congress bridge so the, that's kind of the the austin icon i guess is the the bat so 19, they couldn't come up with something 1996 better. to 2008 there oh there you go you got it somebody's they, got google, yeah. Yeah, google. They, were, they were in the uh, central hockey league so the chl oh, okay. otherwise okay you know, how about that they were affiliated with the minnesota wild up in uh Minnesota, obviously. But there you go. Interesting. Well, how about that? Uh, learn a little something every day here on the show, that's for sure. Financial or not. Uh, but we will get back to the financial talk coming up next, so stick with us here on the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Hey, it's Jess Hamill with Noble Capital. Are you making your retirement a priority? Do you have a plan to generate income in retirement? Have you worked hard to accumulate a nest egg and now your only plan is to spend it down? If any of these questions make you stop and think, you need to attend our upcoming dinner event. We'll talk about generating retirement income in ways you probably won't expect. Seats fill up quickly, so reserve your spot today. Go to ncwealth.com. That's ncwealth.com. We'll see you there. You're tuned in to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Jonathan Berkland and Jess Hamill, the great team at Noble Capital Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Austin area. You can find us online by going to ncwealth.com. That's ncwealth.com. Jess and Jonathan, I wanted to talk a little bit today about traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs. It seems that I think a lot of people don't have a clear picture of whether they should contribute to one or the other or maybe even both. And so I wanted to kind of discuss how we can determine what's the best fit for you listening to the show today. So first of all, can you guys give us kind of that that 10,000-foot view, explain the difference between Roth and traditional? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, It's actually really straightforward. A traditional IRA... You contribute money to it, and it is, you know, the term is pre-tax. But basically, at the end of the year, you claim it on your tax return as right. a contribution, so you don't pay tax on that amount. And now that account, assuming it grows, grows tax-deferred. So the money that was put into it has not been taxed. The growth has not been taxed. And then at the time that you start to take money out, it is just it's income. So no matter what you pull out, it just becomes income. It gets lumped in with the rest of your income, and you get taxed on it at whatever rate you're in at that point. A Roth is basically the opposite of that. So... You get paid, something's left over, you put it in the Roth. It's not something that you can deduct or not pay tax on at that point. That money's already been taxed, and now all the growth is forever tax-free. Not tax-deferred, but tax-free. Yes, growth and distributions that you take from that uh, basis and growth. So, so they're also they're not, they're not subject to RMDs, required minimum distributions, because there's nothing to tax. And favorite way of accumulating for the future is, is tax-free. Now, the question is always, which one should I contribute to? And the question is answered based on the circumstances that you're in. So usually it's both. Um, I like to get a good blend of tax-deferred and tax-free. It helps you in the short term sometimes on your taxable income, and then it also helps us balance out your income later on so that we're not 
popping into the next tax bracket every time we give you an increase in income due to inflation or needs. Yep, it's really what can you stomach to pay taxes on today? And some people may not be able to contribute to it, Roth, right? There's there's a threshold. It's a little bit higher if you're married versus if you're single, but there comes a point where the IRS essentially phases you out. There so. is, and that's kind of it's kind of silly. I mean, the same guys that are writing these laws also make probably the amount of money that would right. pay them out of it. So, yeah. of course, they come up with a back door. Yep. Um, so you can contribute to an IRA, to a traditional, and then immediately convert to a Roth. Yep. It doesn't matter how much money pay you make. Pay your taxes, yeah. Pay your taxes. So yep. it's it's the exact same thing, just one extra step. I don't even know why they they put the limits on it anymore. I mean, it's anybody with a, a little bit of knowledge can just work right around it. Yeah, just have to work a little bit harder. That's yeah, the that's the backdoor Roth, is that right? Correct. Okay, Correct. gotcha. Yeah. It, what is reality? I mean, is reality that more people are contributing to traditional versus Roths? Are the Roths being underutilized in your minds? I believe so. I mean, everybody everybody's stuck in this tax-deferred mindset. Um, it helps me today. It's less tax right. I've got to pay today, so I get to put it somewhere else, and then it grows tax-deferred. All you're doing is kicking the can down the road. And to me, and you've heard me talk about risk before, there's various things that we consider when we're looking at risk for investments. One is, what is the risk that I'm not going to get the return that I anticipate? The other one is, what is the risk that I'm going to lose my principal? But for me, I think the tax risk is the greatest one. What is the risk that 20 years from now or 10 years from now, when it's time for me to start utilizing this tax-deferred income that we have a change in administrations and now the tax rates are so much higher that i would have been better off paying the tax now than later yep and it's it's definitely just a here's what we've always done sort of thing as far as contributing to a traditional i believe you know 401k operates very similarly and that's something people often have happen automatically off their paychecks and historically those have been tax deferred rather than you paying the tax up front nowadays they're coming out with the Roth 401ks and that becomes an option but I think traditionally speaking, people think of the traditional IRA very similarly as the 401k. So a traditional IRA makes a lot of sense. Get the tax break up front, put the dollars in, it's tax deferred, down the road we go. And they kind of don't don't give the consideration to the Roth just because it kind of hurts to pay those taxes up front, right? But yeah. uh, it can hurt a little bit more if you're paying, to, to Jess's point, a higher rate down the road, uh, maybe in a rate that you're not, we don't have today that's going to go up uh, higher than we expect to uh, due to you know, changes in administration. So And not only necessarily potentially a higher rate, I mean, I... I I would venture to say we are probably in the lowest tax brackets that we're likely to see in our lifetime. Yep. So they've got nowhere to go but up. But the sad part about it is, you know, you'll hear me say this one example. Time after time, I had a younger client come in. Him and his wife were both about 50. And they had, between the two of them, almost $3 million in their 401ks. And they had like $30,000 in the bank. And that's it. Yeah. No, yeah. no you know, rental properties, no uh, brokerage accounts. And they're so proud of themselves. Like, look, we got $3 million in our 401k. So that's fantastic. Every penny that you spend for the rest of your life is going to be taxable. Bottom line. Yep, and we can try to help you convert some of that, but that's going to be a slow process, right, <laughs> exactly. over to the Roth, yeah, because right. we're not going to have you paying taxes at the highest bracket to do those conversions. So that's something we could talk about, too, is, is you know, how do I convert to mm-hmm. a Roth from a traditional, right? And, and when does that make sense to do that versus maybe not do that? Yeah, I had a client that, that it hasn't been that long ago, about a year ago. He had probably a little over a million in his traditional, and he had just retired. And his CPA actually told him, just bite the bullet and convert it all right now. Do it all. Just yeah. Do it all in a Roth, and then you're good from now on. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> 70% of that's going to be taxed at 37%. Right, like, right. Come on, guys. Use your head here. Yeah, that's that's not a great uh, advice from a CPA. I mean, right? That's that's something else. But, uh, yeah, it really is. It's a, it's a decision that you kind of make on an annual basis looking at your income for the year. As you get towards the end of the year, you know, come October maybe, kind of looking at what did I make this year? What do I have sitting in traditional that, I, that could be converted over to Roth? I mean, just 
what can I stomach from a tax standpoint? What makes sense? How can I stay on those lower tax brackets and move some some of those dollars over? And you don't have to do all of it in one account. You could pick you know one dollar or a hundred thousand or a million dollars. So pick the amount that keeps you in the tax brackets that you're comfortable with and, and, and move it over. And certainly talk through that with your advisor and CPA. But that's the time to do it and, and do it smart. Yeah, and then the next level of planning on that is to save enough back in non-qualified money so that the first year that you're retired or maybe even the first two or three years that you're retired, you can spin that down and start doing the conversions at you know, 10, 12 percent right, um, right. or uh, tax brackets there. So you can you can live off of your own money that's not taxable. And while you're doing that, because you have no taxable income coming in, all of your Roth conversions are making up the taxable income. I mean, you can go up to seventy, eighty thousand dollars and still be in the lower tax brackets very easily. Yeah, yeah. If a Roth conversion is something that you're thinking about doing or, or not quite sure about how to execute, or you're wondering how does that fit into my overall retirement plan, uh, do take the opportunity to come out and check us out at one of our retirement dinners that we have coming up. We talk about Roth conversions, income planning, and a whole lot more. And it's a great opportunity to have a good meal in a comfortable setting and eventually take us up on the opportunity to come into our office and make an appointment where we can talk about uh, your Roth conversion and your overall income plan in detail. So take that opportunity opportunity come out and see us and let us help you out with your Roth conversions all you have to do to get in touch and to reserve your spot at an upcoming dinner event is go to ncwealth.com again go to ncwealth.com to see the upcoming list of events in the area and you can reserve your spot right from your smartphone or computer ncwealth.com your place to go online or you can call or text and ask for a spot to be reserved for you at an upcoming event as well 512-492-3800 if you want more details call or text that number 512-492-3800. Jess and Jonathan hold lots of events here with Noble Capital Wealth Management throughout the Austin area, teaching folks just like you about retirement planning, about financial planning, and making sure that you're well-prepared for your financial future. And if you want to take advantage of coming to an upcoming event, you can attend one of these free dinner events by calling 512-492-3800. Again, that's 512 492 3800. Call or text that number or go online once again to ncwealth.com. You're listening to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Answering your mailbag questions on today's show, this is the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Walter Sorholt alongside Jess Hamill and Jonathan Berkland uh, serving you throughout the Austin area. We've got another question from a listener here. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, call or text one to 512-492-3800. Again, 512-492-3800. Laura says, it's a short and sweet question for you guys. I'm fearful of market crashes. Should I just put everything in cash to take away the worry? Ooh. Ooh. Uh. You know, we call that losing your money safely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so at the, at the very least, assuming a 3% inflation rate, you're losing 3% per year right off the bat by doing that. Um, there are plenty of guaranteed options out there that at least keep up with inflation. So just pulling it out of the market and going to straight cash you know, that'll give you an underlying feeling of security for a short period of time, but but you probably ought to put that money somewhere. Just letting it sit there in cash is not going to do any good. Yeah, I, I will say, though, we've had a few clients come into us in that situation. Hey, I was in the market. I didn't like it. Uh, I want to pull out and I want to reconsider my options. Maybe I do go back into the market a little bit, but I want to I want to plan, not just a, a hope. So we get people coming in in that situation exactly. So so maybe that is the right way to go, but that's step one of, of two or three. You know, the next step should be, Hey, give us a call and let us put a plan together for you and, and put some of that money back to work in a productive way rather than just sitting on under the mattress. Yeah. The bare minimum, we have things you can do. I mean, if you just want to have zero risk, we have places to put it that at least keep up with inflation, no fees, 
and you're not gonna, you're not going to lose anything. Yeah, there's always a, a better option than cash. Is that a common problem with people having too much money in cash? Sounds like a good problem to have, but in retirement planning, it's it's really an issue, right? Sometimes, and, and it's a, it's an emotional thing. People come in and they've been stockpiling cash, and they'll have three, four, five hundred thousand dollars sitting in their checking account, and they know that that's not the best place for it. They know they're not making anything, but as soon as you want to put it somewhere, they have that emotional attachment to liquidity. And we have that conversation all the time. They're, they're like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I've got $400,000 available to me. And I say, well, are you going to go spend three or four hundred grand on anything? Have you ever done that at one time? And they say, well, no. I said, okay, well, then there you go. Let's, let's put it somewhere where it performs. But we are constantly overcoming emotions, um, as typically irrational emotions. A big problem there with cash. Uh, whenever cash and emotions, uh, they, they certainly collide all the time, I think, sure. uh, the way that we uh, hear you guys talk about it here on the show. Certainly a common issue. Great question, Laura. If you have any questions about your own financial situation, maybe a similar one to Laura, maybe something else that's on your mind, reach out to Jess and Jonathan here at Noble Capital Wealth Management. The number to call is 512 492 3800. You can also text a question in to the guys. We don't have to feature it on the radio show either, by the way, if you just want to ask them uh, privately your own questions about your financial life. 512-492-3800 is the number. 512-492-3800. You're listening to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Fishing is an art, and any fisherman worth his salt knows the proper tools to land a whopper. You wouldn't take a cane pole to catch a bass, and unless you're just looking for a tranquil day on the boat, you probably wouldn't use shrimp for bait on the lake. The same can be said of your retirement. There are all sorts of financial products out there, and it's important to know which ones are the right fit for you. A random jumble of investments won't do you much good in retirement. Work with an advisor who knows how to fish, who sees the art within. A well-crafted financial plan will go a long way toward making a successful retirement. Make sure you're putting the right tools in your portfolio. In the Austin area, reach out to the Noble Capital Wealth Management Team for help building a custom, comprehensive, and complimentary financial plan. Call 512-492-3800. That's 512-492-3800. Or reserve a time to meet online at ncwealth.com. That's ncwealth.com. Want to have a great meal on us and learn a little about retirement at the same time? Go to ncwealth.com to see our list of upcoming dinner events. You can reserve a spot right there online. Just go to ncwealth.com to RSVP. Come hungry. We'll see you there. Well, it's time to open up the mailbag for another question from one of our listeners in the area. I've got a question here from Joe today, guys. And uh, Joe says, gentlemen, what an educational program. Well, thank you, Joe. We appreciate that. Uh, Joe says, I'm 63, still employed, and would like to retire around 67. I do have a pension and around 200000 in a 401k. I also have a $65,000 balance in a savings account that I want to use to build a new home. I am a widower and do not have any children. Should I work till I'm older if I anticipate building that home? I've met with a representative of another financial company, and it appears that I would have sufficient amount for retirement, but I'm not totally confident. What do you guys think? A lot to unpack in that one. A lot to unpack that's in that. Yeah. Congrats a, on the pension there, yeah, Joe. Right? <laughs> right yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a pretty broad question with um, what sounds like some specific stuff, but really not specific enough to give a definitive answer on that. Uh, yeah, so I think we can talk about it kind of broadly, though. I mean, right. As we're entering retirement, we do have clients who are thinking about, you know, 
pur- purchasing a home or building a home or you know paying down their mortgage and they're trying to figure out what's what's best for me and it depends yeah so i mean the the broad answer for the broad question you know, building a house. Do do you already have a house that you're going to sell that's going to go towards that? Right, right. Um, Is sixty five thousand enough for the new house? Yeah, or right. like that? Are we talking about a modest three two? You know, somewhere outlying that's an hour from from Austin. Are we talking about a really extravagant house here? But just looking at your question as a whole, my answer would be you're probably going to be working a little bit longer than you expected based on that. Yeah, I think it's important to really be confident in your retirement plans before building the house, right? So your 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 current advisor says you have enough for retirement, but you're not totally confident. So that, right that's there, that's the red that, flag, right? That yeah. gives me okay. pause, yeah. right? If you're not confident and you haven't built the house yet, let's revisit the plan currently and 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 consider, you know, can I retire even when I want to as it currently stands? And if so, Maybe then from there we can talk about, you know, do we build the house? And then that's where we have to factor in. Is there an existing house that we're going to be able to kind of, you know, 1031 some funds on, that sort of thing, and, and put right. us in a better position where we're not paying down a half-million-dollar mortgage come retirement or, or whatever the situation may be. But I would get your, your current, your existing situation figured out before you even consider the house. That that would be my, my, my thing that I would really implore you to do. Um, you need to have that confidence going into retirement of your current situation before you, you really extend yourself a little bit too far and at that point in the game it's hard to make up for it right right but i do i, I like the i like the things that you're asking and yep. that you're considering so you're on the you're on the right track you're asking the right questions um but that's just kind of like saying hey i just got i got a raise can i afford a new car yep um but i'd love to sit down with you and take a look at um some specific numbers and see what kind of house you're talking about and and go from there so i would i would offer you to come in Make an appointment. Let's sit down, take a look at it, and get yep. more specific to yourself. Yep. Or come out to one of our, our, our dinner uh, events where you can learn a little bit about us and what we do, how we yep. operate, a few retirement mistakes, our take on, on retirement planning as a whole, and um, maybe compare that to what you're currently doing and decide if, if we're a fit or not for you. Uh, but we'll certainly feed you and, and try to make friends yep. with you, so you uh, and we can go from there. Come out and get a nice dinner and then come talk to me or just come talk to me. Yeah, yeah. whatever the preference is, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's the ways to do that, Joe. Uh, you may already have the number, 512-492-3800. Call or text if you want to set up a time to meet there, 512-492-3800. Or you can go online to ncwealth.com and find out about all the upcoming dinner events across the area. That's ncwealth.com. Uh, usually when somebody says, you know, I'm not totally confident in my financial plan or I'm not confident about retirement, I ask, you know, are you working with an advisor? And half the time the answer is no. I'm just kind of guessing or doing it on my own. It's kind of like, all right, well, there's the problem. Let's let's address that. Or right. it is, yes, I am. And, and kind of in Joe's case here, yeah, I have an advisor. And then it's like, okay, well, there's two issues here. Either you're not asking the right questions or maybe your advisor isn't asking you the right questions. Right. And, uh, and then that kind of always gets the wheels turning in their head a little bit to go, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. It shouldn't be my job to really ask all the questions. I don't know what I need to know. Um, that's the job of the advisor is to ask the kinds of questions that people don't know that they already need to know. I'm sure you guys run into that all the time when you're meeting with folks in the office where you ask them something, and I never thought of that, you know, or, boy, I haven't considered that angle, or uh, I didn't even know that that would be a factor. Do you ever get kind of that surprise when you start bringing things up? Yeah, and, I mean, sometimes I'm just looking at somebody going, really? You never, <laughs> you never thought to answer that question or ask that question? But it's, uh, I like that somebody is saying, I'm not confident, therefore I'm looking for some more answers because I, I see too many people that they're not confident 
but they hear what they want to hear. Yep. Therefore, they move forward based on that, and they find themselves in a pickle somewhere down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Props to Joe for not just taking the advisor's advice. It, it might be perfectly sound advice, right? But if you have that little spot that in the back of your brain saying, I don't feel great about it, then maybe seek out a second opinion, right? It, it's, it's, it has to be your confidence in retirement. And usually what we see if somebody doesn't have confidence is they, they don't have a plan. They don't have an income plan. It's just um, a loose assumption based on you know some, some market assumption combined with some you know p- p- pension income kind of thing. And we're going to cross our fingers and hope for the best and, and make sure we don't, we don't die too, too late, right? It doesn't run out. It's a little bit morbid there, but you know that's that's the reality. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the uh, the truth hurts, and uh, that's a good example of it there. But uh, I think you guys are right. Your point is made that Joe is doing the right things by recognizing there's some uh, you know deficiency in the plan that's leading to some you know shaky shaky legs, uh, some some lack of confidence, and that yep. should be kind of a trigger to get a second opinion. And uh, again, if you want to get that second opinion, Joe, or maybe you're in a different situation from Joe, but similarly. Uh, need some confidence with your plan, give a call, 512-492-3800. That's 512-492-3800 or online at ncwealth.com. You're listening to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Hey, it's Jess Hamill with Noble Capital. Are you making your retirement a priority? Do you have a plan to generate income in retirement? Have you worked hard to accumulate a nest egg and now your only plan is to spend it down? If any of these questions make you stop and think, you need to attend our upcoming dinner event. We'll talk about generating retirement income in ways you probably won't expect. Seats fill up quickly, so reserve your spot today. Go to ncwealth.com or call 512-492-3800. That's ncwealth.com or call 512-492-3800. Talk 13-7, the right choice. You're listening to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Walter Storholt here alongside the team at Noble Capital Wealth Management. Jonathan Berklin is a financial advisor on the team. Jess Hamill is the vice president of Noble Capital Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Austin area. You can find us online at ncwealth.com if you want to find out about upcoming dinner events that the team has planned, some great information available where you can learn alongside your peers there. Look at the schedule, find out about upcoming events, and even RSVP all online at ncwealth.com. And if you have any questions for us on the show, you can always get in touch as well by calling or texting 512-492-3800. That's 512-492-3800. We're going to talk a little bit about how retirement and flying can often parallel one another. And we have a well-qualified person to talk about this subject on today's show. Not only is he a master financial planner, but Jess Hamill is also a pilot himself. Jess, how long have you been flying? Give us a little background on sort of your uh, your flying experience. Legally since the uh, late 90s. <laughs> um, there's, there's actually a story behind that that's not appropriate for radio, but I, uh, I learned to fly sitting in the right seat with somebody who had blown out knees and couldn't run the rudders going up and down the coast of uh, Texas, where we've always got an onshore breeze. So one way down, you've got the left rudder. The other way, you've got the right rudder, and he couldn't run them. So that's what I was there for, and I picked up on it and loved it and went ahead and went legal and had a lot of fun since then. You're probably past the statute of limitations for you know, <laughs> hopefully so. that act, I would imagine. So. Probably so. Yeah, uh, very cool. So you've been flying planes ever since. What, what kinds of planes? Uh, for, for the non-plane people out there, kind of what have you, you know? Oh, just regular single engine, you know. So I was part of a co-op. So myself and 27 other people owned 128th of four airplanes. 
Okay. Um, so we had everything from you know a, a two seater that gets a super great mileage, you know, so to speak, on the gas, all the way up to something that carries some weight, and uh, then uh, we got some experience in a beach craft bonanza, but mostly you know Piper, Cessna, and that Beecher, just an easy regular four place single engine aircraft. All right, last last question on the flying part. Then farthest you've flown yourself from the Austin area, or coolest place that you've uh, you've flown yourself. Those would both be the same place, uh, Miami, for sure. Oh, very cool. <laughs> over the Gulf? No, you just hug the coastline. Oh, hug the coastline. Yeah, if you yeah. want to go over water, you've got to have two engines. You know, okay. One goes out, you still got another one. You've got to be a real cowboy to go out there with just one. <laughs> <laughs> Probably prettier anyway to hug the coast, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, so. you've got to have a lot of faith in your engine to try to go over water like that with one engine, so I don't recommend it. Very cool. Very neat. Well, before you go on all those trips, I would imagine that you need a flight plan. I mean, what does that really look like? We, we think everybody's, every pilot's got this checklist of items they've got to go through. Is that reality? You've got a big checklist you've got to hit? So, yeah, those are two different things, and it's probably not going to follow the theme of the uh, correlation we've got here, but a flight plan is not nearly as common as you would think. It depends on whether, you know, what kind of weather condition you're going into and whether you're going uh, instrument or not. But the checklist, absolutely. I mean, you, um, I, everybody's different. I know what you're supposed to do. So if I get into a small plane with a couple of friends and we go up to Fredericksburg to get a hamburger, you know, I go through my checklist the entire plane, check everything out. Land in Fredericksburg, go in, eat a hamburger, and 45 minutes later, we're back at the plane. Everybody's going, come on, let's go. Why are you checking it? We just got off the plane. My answer is more than likely everything's fine, but I want to figure it out now while we're sitting on the ground, not when we're, you know, four or 5,000 feet in the air. So always absolutely. go through the checklist from the beginning to the end, no matter what. Jonathan, that's got to be the uh, financial parallel there, I would uh, imagine. Yeah. The Absolutely. Better to know it on the ground than in the air, right? Of course, yeah. Better to know going in than, than when you're in the middle of it. So it's certainly important to, to put a, a flight plan, so to speak, together for your retirement, or should I say prior to your retirement. The, the optimal time to do it is really kind of in that three- to five-year window as you're approaching retirement, coming in for the landing, so to speak. Man, I can just <laughs> take this one all the way. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> but that's really the, the time to, to really start uh, putting things together and, and going down that checklist you know what what assets do you have what do you want to get out of retirement when do you want to retire all those questions that start forming in your mind and, and really put pen to paper and and lay out a plan of action and, and it really starts with with that flight plan where are we going what are we trying to accomplish and what do we have to to take us there and, and how and how specifically are we getting there right right yeah. that's a good point just like the uh, hug the coastline or fly over the water you know specific of how you yeah. got to miami <laughs> and there, there's, there's certainly two different types there yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. big big differences and personality of the pilot yes, or of the retiree yes. might dictate Absolutely. how to how to take that path pretty funny uh, by the way uh, i think you two sound like you're probably similar to me in that even though they're the lowest form of humor we're all fans of puns here so <laughs> yes. yeah. a, a segment for us all when i was flying uh, so i used to broadcast uh, basketball with the uh, University of North Carolina Tar Heels uh, women's basketball team. And when I was flying with them back from Maryland one time, back to, to North Carolina, we had, it was February, really, really cold. And we had a 30, 40 mile an hour wind. And as we were coming down to land, the pilot actually opened up the, it was a chartered plane, opened up the, the, the door so we could see through the cockpit. He said, hey, if you guys want to see what it's like to land, you know, stick your head in the aisle and you can watch us land. And so, you know, all the adults in the front of the plane, boom, immediately lean their heads right. in the aisle like, we want to see this. All the girls in the back go, ah! <laughs> they were all deathly afraid of flying. But that it was the scariest thing at the same time because the plane was, I don't know, yawing? Is that the way to describe it? Yeah. The way the yeah. wind was hitting yeah, us? It wasn't severe turbulence, but the yawing might as well have been as scary as turbulence because we'd see the runway through the window or through the door, and then it would disappear. And then it would come back, and then it would disappear. And I can't believe they landed the plane, but they successfully got it down. But, boy, that turbulence, it was so funny to see that feeling affect people in different ways, the folks in the back going nuts and then the adults up front you know, kind of enjoying it and loving it along the way. 
Same thing in retirement. People kind of react to all the turbulence we see in the financial news similarly. Yeah, I would I would think that less people enjoy it in the retirement. I would think so. Probably. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even right. even as a kid, I used to I can remember you know flying in, in the plane, we'd in some turbulence and everybody'd freak out, and I just I would just sit back and relax and enjoy it. I just had that sense of everything's going to be okay, right. and this is more like a ride, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the carnival. I, I loved it, so I have no problem with turbulence or getting into scary situations. Yeah, but in retirement, different story, yeah, right? Different I mean, story. In, in yeah. retirement, you know, you don't want to find out that you're going to hit some turbulence. Uh, that, that's going to be part of the plan to avoid as much turbulence as possible as we're, we're planning that flight. So that's kind of the gut check coming into it. Uh, you know, how much risk do you want to take? What are you What are you willing to kind of put out there and, and endure from a turbulent standpoint, and what aren't you? So that's something we talk about right up front. Which direction you want to do? Want to go? Are we hugging the coastline as we talked about earlier? Are we flying over that body of water or, or somewhere in between? Uh, it's a really good way to to think about it. The problem is, though, it's it's going to hit us all, right? I mean, you fly enough, you're going to get hit by some turbulence. Same thing if you are in the market in any way, shape, and form, you're going to get hit by some turbulent times. Yeah, you're, you're going to get hit, but it really comes down to what extent, right? Are hit on those assets we're relying on for income purposes or or is that over in our, our kitty over on the side that that's maybe that uh you know long-term uh legacy money where we can afford to, to take some of that turbulence so we like to think about it in a couple different ways and maybe we're hugging the coastline with our income and flying over that body of water with with some of that legacy money or, or money that we're just not counting on for everyday expenses it also has a lot to do with the quality of how well your plane is built just like your plane so sure. you know, there's, there's turbulence that i can fly right through and not even bat an eye at and there's you know some planes that have not been maintained well or built well that are not going to make it through the turbulence yeah uh, any any turbulent stories you could share with us from your flying days uh, you know, not so much turbulence i mean we're always going to run into turbulence yeah. but I've, I've made a couple of emergency landings one of them uh Without getting into details, the newer planes make some adjustments that uh, you used to have to make automatically. And so I got caught above the clouds at about 10,000 feet and had to descend very quickly. And when I did, the uh, the automatic fuel mixture couldn't keep up with the pressure, and I just lost power, period. The engine just died. So mm. at about 6,000 feet, I was coming in and coasting with no power whatsoever. I got down low enough to where I was too far from the airport in Corpus for them to hear me on the radio. So I had a Mooney above me that was... I would talk to him. He would talk to the tower. Tower would talk to him. He would talk to me, and he'd say, "Okay, at eleven o'clock, we've got a, a county road. Let's head that way." So we'd head that way, and I'd get close enough. He'd say, "Okay, you know, at two o'clock, we're going to run something else." And eventually, I made it to the Refugio Airport and landed right on the numbers with no power whatsoever. It was probably the luckiest thing that's ever happened. To me. <laughs> oh man! It was, wow. it was beautiful. Fantastic. Actually landed. Landed, the mechanic worked on it for about 10 minutes, got back in, and kept on going on a corpus and made my lunch date. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's Jess Hamill, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, me, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It takes, uh, it takes certainly some poise to do something and uh, pull, it, pull it off like that. Man, wow. An interesting story. Uh, last parallel between these two things, flying and retirement. We're talking about it here on the Noble Capital Radio Hour today, tapping into the experience of Jonathan Berkland and Jess Hamill on the financial side of things. Jess, also a pilot himself, sharing some good stories with us. Jess, I think you wouldn't make it to your destination without the help of maybe it's traffic control, I guess, if we're talking sort of like bigger planes. In your case, in that story you just told us, without the help of the, the guy above you helping with that communication, how important is communication in the flying world and then also, of course, in retirement? I mean, it's, it's the cornerstone. I mean, in my opinion, in life, period, uh, relationships or retirement or flying, but, yeah, you've got to have communication. So when we sit down with a client, and I can't stress this enough, they're used to going to financial advisors that are telling them what to do. So – we listen. We talk a lot. We ask a lot of questions based on their answers. We put something together that we present to them, and then we listen again. And we want to get feedback on it. So we go through several appointments. Uh, we don't just sit down and tell somebody what to do. Each appointment, I listen to what they're telling me, take that feedback, incorporate it into the next appointment until 
we are all on the same playing field, and I know exactly what it is that they're giving me feedback on, and they understand exactly what I'm putting in front of them. Right, right. And that's ongoing, by the way, throughout retirement, right? I mean, we we like to to check in with our clients at least once a year, figure out, you know, are we on the same flight path? We're trying to go somewhere different. Uh, How are things going in general? Do you you have enough income? Do you need less? You know, where are we at? Maybe a major life uh, change has occurred. So certainly you can you can talk to us more often than that. But at least once a year, we like to make that communication check in and and just make sure we're we're going the right direction. If somebody wants to to call or text, we talk about calling or texting if people have questions all the time. If they do that, can you tell us a bit about the process or or what happens from there? What can they expect? Absolutely. So uh, reach out to us, um, and and we'd like to go into one of our our dinner events. So you'll come out, enjoy an evening with us and a nice meal. And we kind of talk through the basics of, of what exactly we do, right, for retirement planning and maybe some of the things that are top of mind for us and what general direction we like to take your retirement planning as you think about working with us. You know, we talked about the budget earlier. There's a number of those uh, things that, that really pertain to retirement that not everybody's thinking about. So come out to an event, learn about those things. And then if, if you decide you want to proceed, you can just sign right up and set your first appointment to come in and meet with us and get to know us a little bit better and see if, if we're the team you'd like to implement uh, retirement retirement plan with. And I think, you know, Walter has mentioned several times how to reach out, but I'll let him remind you of that. Here's the way that you can find out about some of those upcoming dinner events. If you want to get your name on the list, you can go to ncwealth.com. It's that easy. ncwealth.com, your place to go. We've got a list of upcoming events throughout the area there on the site. You can click and sign up right now ncwealth.com is how you can do that or if you'd like to reserve a spot over the phone you can certainly do that by calling or sending a text to let us know your interest 512-492-3800 is the number call or text 512-492-3800 find out more about working with the team at noble capital wealth management some of the important things that you need to be doing to prepare for retirement it's all going to be covered at one of those upcoming events so make sure you get your name on the list come in have a conversation about what's going on in your financial life 512-492-3800 again that number to call or text and that's all the time that we have for on this week's show for jess hamill and jonathan berkland i'm walter storholt have a great rest of your weekend and we'll see you next time back here on the noble capital radio hour All opinions and information expressed by the speakers on this show are solely the opinions of those speakers and not those of Noble Capital or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. All opinions are based on information the speakers consider reliable. Opinions and information are provided as is for educational purposes only, cannot be guaranteed or warranted, may change without notice, and may not be corrected or updated. Opinions and information should not be construed as an inducement to invest, an offer to buy or sell securities, nor as legal tax or investment advice, nor do they take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and are therefore not necessarily intended as recommendations suitable for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments and strategies mentioned on this program. Neither the speakers, Noble Capital, or their affiliates guarantee any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all investments involve inherent risk of total loss. Strategies and investments fluctuate in price and value, and investors may get back less than they invested. You should seek advice from independent financial investment and legal counsel before making any financial or investment decisions. Transmission of information through this program is not intended and does not create an advisor-client relationship between you and Noble Capital. Information provided on this program may reference other service providers, including websites operated and maintained by third parties. The provision of such information does not imply responsibility for or an endorsement of any third-party information, opinion, recommendation, or investment product. Reproduction, distribution, republication, and or retransmission of any portion of this program is prohibited without the prior written consent of Noble Capital.